Hey, Hawkeye fans, Chad Leistico of the Des Moines Register. Three-man weave time for uh, the Hawkeyes 35-0. I almost said Tax Lair Bowl loss. Citrus Bowl loss to the Tennessee Vols, uh, joined by Dargan Southard, who's been great to uh, join us with his Tennessee expertise this week, and Tyler Tashman, uh, who has a piece already up about the offense. Uh, Big shock. Uh, That becomes the story of the day. First time the Hawkeyes have been shut out in back-to-back games since 1966, guys. Uh, disappointing day all across the board. Uh, you get first and goal or at the four-yard line in the first quarter, and you still don't score in the game. Uh, pretty – the, the total result startled me, but once you saw how bad Deacon Hill was playing, it does not surprise me that it ended up 35 nothing. Tyler – uh, haven't talked. I like to talk to you during the games. You know, we can exchange thoughts, all that. I haven't got to talk to you yet, so I'd love to hear what you thought about the game. I think we knew Iowa's offense was bad, right? Like that. This isn't new information. Like it's already pretty well documented how bad Iowa's offense has been. But I think it's like reopening the wound, right? You kind of you are reminded where Iowa's offense is. And to me, it was kind of an indication of like how much work is ahead for whoever is going to be the next offensive coordinator. And I know that to a certain extent, they're going, they're not going to be able to totally overhaul things because it's going to be contingent upon what Kirk Ferentz wants. But there's a lot of work to be done. And you know, the, the, the end of the game was kind of, it was, it was mercifully done, you know, at, at 35, nothing, but it, it feels like the, the kind of rebuilding of this offense is just beginning. This is kind of, this is now officially we're moving into the start of, of trying to get Iowa's offense moving, you know, back into the right direction uh, because it's, it's fundamentally, I mean, it's just, it's cracked. Um, what we saw today was similar to what has been the entire season is that teams stacking the box because Iowa is not a threat to pass the ball. And that makes it tough to run the ball, obviously. And then Iowa's passing game isn't good enough to make teams pay for that. So it's kind of like a cycle uh, that just cannibalizes itself. Uh, There's, I mean, there's no really light at the end of the tunnel when it comes to how can Iowa wriggle itself out of that cycle um, but now new offensive coordinator coming in, I guess, I, if you look at it as a light, you know, as a change, um, that's n- now we're at the starting point, I think. Yeah, mercifully ending, I think the Brian Ferentz era is the right way to put it. Uh, got so much, got over 500 three-word headlines already. We'll probably get a few more before, by the time this show is over. But some of them are basically the, t- the tone is thank you, Beth, you know, for, for ending the, this two months ago. Uh, you know, and, and all the chatter, back-to-back shutouts. Iowa has not scored a touchdown in the last uh, 10 quarters uh, of football, <laughs> dating back to the second quarter of the Nebraska game. So many stats we can can tick off here. But, Dargan, I want to get to you because, you know, being around Tennessee media a little bit during the game and this week, it, the sense I got today was like, you know, we knew Iowa's offense was bad, but we didn't know it was this bad. And I think your Tennessee friends uh, were probably right. That maybe I'm not saying Iowa's defense was uh, any kind of fraud. I'm not saying that at all. But the defense was uh, 
exposed a little bit today, especially against the run and that fast tempo. Jay Higgins even said as much afterwards they that they just they needed them to huddle up and they wouldn't, and it was just a pretty relentless pace. So, kudos to your Vols. But uh, what did you see out there? Yeah, you know, it was certainly a valid statement pregame to wonder if Iowa's defense and its lack of seeing anything like how Tennessee operates was going to be, you know, a, a huge factor. And, you know, I think certainly everybody who covers Iowa and has seen this program up close this year figured that that Phil Parker, you know, maybe caught off guard a little bit to start, but would find a way to settle in and, and really show what they had all year. And, um, you know, in some of those games where, you know, like the Ohio State game last year or the Michigan game this year where the score is lopsided, but you can kind of say, oh, well, Iowa's defense did all they could. I'm not really sure you could say that today because, um, you know, Tennessee was able to run the ball better than pretty much any team has against Iowa this year. Um, you know, Jabari Small and Jalen Wright being out didn't matter all that much really at all because Dylan Sampson hopped right in and, you know, took took over um, from the start. And, you know, the, the quote that you said about Jay Higgins, I, I watched that and it was interesting saying that, um, you know, if if a lot of those plays had happened with Tennessee huddling, that maybe they would have had more success. And I feel like that's exactly what Tennessee speak can do to you is it just gets you so out of whack to where things that would be makeable and would be, uh, you know, plays that you feel like Iowa's defense has shown it can make all year. All of a sudden, those gimmies are off the table and then you, you know, then you kind of have everything snowball and it turns into what it did. So, um yeah, I, I I told everybody it's it's a it's nails on a chalkboard watching this Iowa offense, and uh, somehow they I think got worse and had probably the worst performance of the season today. And um, it, it does feel kind of fitting that Marshall Meter scores the final points of the season. <laughs> oh wow, that's a good pull there, Dargan. Oh, wow. I'm um, not laughing, but I am. That's crazy. That yeah. seems like forever ago. I know, and so. <laughs> It just it just kind of felt like the Michigan game and more so today that, you know, rent was was kind of due on mm -hmm. Iowa, who's been able to pull out all these wins and all these uh, positive things that they can point to at the end and say, hey, we won the game, even though it was ugly as, you know, all in, you know, today it kind of all snowballed together and you get the ugly score that you got. And um, yeah, really, really t uh, intensifies the urgency, I feel like moving forward. Yeah, could it be Hawk Slayer 2.0? I'm kind of writing a column to that regard um, that'll be up tomorrow morning. Um, obviously, my thoughts are online now, 2,700 words, and uh, Tyler's story is already up. I know Dargan did a good job with the live blog today, so uh, good efforts by everyone. Um, yeah, Drew, it's kind of funny. Does you mean, I, don't, I'm not, I want to get to the quarterback, just so you guys all know. We're going to quarterback here in a second, and Brian Ferentz and offense. But isn't it crazy? Like Drew Stevens had all those struggles against Nebraska, and then he hasn't been able to attempt a single kick. He hasn't even attempted a kick since. Yeah. I mean, really, there's only been two possessions in the last two games where I was even been remotely yeah. in field goal range. The the Jazz Patterson fumble against Michigan and right. the, the end zone interception today. So, yeah, yeah it's, and they, and they could have uh, they could have tried a field goal. I think it was they were down twenty eight nothing. Uh, yeah, our, Mar right. our Marco line has his first drive. They got deep right. into the territory. They decided to to go for it. 
you know, they weren't going to win the game anyway. I kind of wish they would have kicked the field goal. I mean, I know that's kind of maybe a pansy thing to say, but like, you know, give Drew Stevens a little confidence. You know, you're trying to like build, you're not going to win the game. You're trying to build. And that was kind of my point of my first take of the day, guys. And I want to get your thoughts on it too, is seeing Tennessee's freshman quarterback, true freshman quarterback, Nico, let's see if I can do it. Iamaleva, right? Iamaleva? Iamilava. Yeah. Iamilava. I don't know. I think we probably, between Dolph and Bob Kessling and the play and the guys on ESPN, I think there was about 50 different pronunciations. Right. Anyway, it's their freshman quarterback. He got all the one reps in bull prep. And just after watching today, now I didn't write this ahead of time, so it's a, it's a little bit of Monday morning quarterback, but we talked about it. Like, why not give Marco Linez – the bull prep. Why not give him this shot? It's an exhibition game. I realize you're going for number 11, but he, he went out there and gave him a spark. Did he not? I mean, there was, there were cheers in the Iowa crowd. His very first play of the game is a nine yard scramble. And I realize, Dargan, you can probably tell me like how many reserves are on the field. Probably some, um, you know, I, I wasn't studying it that closely. I was trying to file for deadline, but, um, I don't know, Tyler, we've talked a lot this year about, you know, the quarterback situation. Why not give Joe Labus a chance? Then it became, why not give Marco Linez a chance? It's just constant for 10 games. We've seen Deacon Hill turn the ball over constantly. The one thing that Iowa stresses is ball control, game managing, security, protect the football, win the turnover margin. Iowa loses the turnover margin for the season for the first time since 2014. This quarterback did not protect the ball. He couldn't move. All of a sudden, Marco Linez is in there. He can move. At least it creates something else for the defense to worry about. He came in, and it was pretty immediate. I mean, he was, a, he was billed as a guy that could use his legs a little bit more, and he showed that. I mean, the the passing is is obviously a work in progress, but, I mean, he's a, he's a true freshman. But, uh, I mean, it's still a work in progress with Deacon. So, you know, it wasn't like there was some major, you know, drop off there. But he – it was exciting what he could do with his legs. And it kind of makes you wonder like how many other games could Iowa possibly have won or gotten close in if he was in there at quarterback, you know, using his legs. Um, but yeah, I think it, it is just a very confounding decision. When you look back, you know, Kirk Ferentz stressed, you know, what was done in practice was a was a factor in who was out there. And obviously we don't get to see what's going on in practice, but I don't know. It's just it it's just it 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 looks like a really stubborn decision, you know. And I know that Kirk is pro you know very set in his ways with how Iowa plays football offensively with the scheme and and look it's worked. I mean Iowa want you know got to the Big Ten championship this season but it, it felt like a, a decision that it, it just it just was questionable, and that's putting it really lightly of, of why Marco wasn't given a chance earlier on. And on top of that, it's like, well, where does Iowa go at quarterback next season? Because Cade McNamara, you, you hope that he's going to be Iowa probably starter come opening day, but he's coming off a consecutive season-ending injuries. Uh, Joe Labus is in the portal. Uh, you know, Marco Linez, is, is he going to be in the mix? I don't think you want to go into week one having Deacon Hill the starter. Um, th this has been part of the issue of Iowa's offense is that there's been the, a revolving door um, of quarterbacks. When you look at, I mean, Alex Padilla, uh, Spencer Petras, 
uh, last season, uh, Joe Labus getting the start in the bowl game. That's been one of the many, not the only issue with Iowa's offense, but one of the many issues is that there's just instability at quarterback. There hasn't been a guy to just kind of be average run of the mill. I think there was hope that Cade McNamara could have been that guy, uh, wasn't able to stay healthy. I mean, maybe he can be that next season, but just the instability, inconsistency, incompetence at quarterback uh, factored in with a bunch of other things offensively have just really weighed down the unit. Well, and just the mobility piece is something even Joe Evans talked about. Like, yeah, it's it's actually really, you know, that really was difficult for us to stop because he can do both things. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, that's right, you know. Uh, and and again, we're not saying like, yeah, Marco should have been the, you know, the guy in week six or anything like that. But to just never even give him a sniff or a look when things were, were going badly, um, it, it just – when you see kind of the spark he gave them, it just it boggles the mind. He obviously did something to elevate to number two uh, during the bye week. We saw him getting the two reps up at Wrigley Field. So uh, even if you're not going to start him in the game, Dargan, bring him in at halftime when it's 14 nothing. Bring him in after Deacon Hill fumbles at his own two-yard line. They waited way too long to even try to ignite a spark. Uh, it just, again, it, the stubbornness, I think they're just so desperate for that stability that they tried to like manufacture stability with Deacon Hill. Well, it, like, sorry, if I can just jump in, it's almost like they're trying to find so much stability that it's creating instability, right? Like it, it's actually having the opposite effect of just running the same guy out there, you know, and, you know, it's the same person, but it's so much inconsistency. It's having kind of a reverse effect. Yeah, and I think you, go ahead. I think the biggest thing or among the biggest things that's the most frustrating for Iowa fans right now is, you know, it's one thing to to acknowledge that, you know, Iowa has to play to be successful a little backwards than a lot of teams. And that works when you don't turn the ball over. And now, you know, not only has Deacon Hill not accelerated this offense at all, but now he's costing his team points because, I mean, today he literally gift wrapped Tennessee 14 points on the pick six and not holding onto the ball basically up against his own goal line. And so when you have that contradiction and it's been that way, pretty much Deacon Hill's entire time in there. I mean, he's, he's been turnover, a turnover liability more or less from the second he got in there. And so, you know, I think once you see that contradiction play out on the field with, Hey, you know, even if we don't have a gunslinger back there, if he protects the ball, then that's what we want. When that's not happening and you're still not making a change, it's easy to see where the frustration is because, um, you know, the, in my mind, there really is no risk to go to line is at any point because it can't get any worse. Like there are so many metrics that that show that Deacon Hill has been one of and in times the worst college football quarterback this year. And so a lot of times when you have that kind of gray area of who should be a quarterback, a lot of it is the risk of playing the wild card and maybe he isn't as good as the more established, but that's not really the case here because we've seen Deacon Hill really not get a whole lot better than when he took over when Cade McNamara got hurt. So um, I, I feel the frustration from Iowa fans for sure, because um, you know, it's, it's not, there's, you know, it's been Cade McNamara has been hurt since week five and it's not really been any different uh, since then. Yeah, and this is uh, this was Deacon Hill was not on this schedule. This was not what he was meant to be doing. 
was leading a Big Ten team right now. Uh, he came here to kind of, you know, develop. And, uh, you know, he he got thrust into the spot because Iowa was deficient at that position and injured. And, uh, you know, he just uh, – it, it also speaks to Brian Ferentz's inability as a quarterback's coach the last two years. I mean, it just nothing really progressed. And, you know, a lot of fans have made this point. I like the point. I mean, Kirk Ferentz was quick to change kickers like that with a really, really good kicker. We, you know, against Nebraska, but took so long to even try someone else. And it just uh, – that part did not make any sense. Deacon Hill ends up with 11 fumbles this year, eight interceptions, and uh, pro football focus ranks him as the worst quarterback in Power 5, you know, a, a regular quarter of, of guys with, you know, minimum attempts. So uh, that's that's a pretty large body of work, and, it, and it's not a – not we're not like – dogging him individually and his effort. And he's obviously a great teammate, a, a nice guy. Uh, he's the best that they could find, and they had to throw him out there and ahead of his time. And so it's more an indictment on the coaches, which is what I think we're all saying, Tyler. Yeah, no, and I think that brings up a good point because the contrast between what Iowa does offensively and – or the elite level that I was at defensively makes the contrast with what it's at offensively even wider because I defensively does an incredible job developing guys. I mean, look at they, they go and get three star dudes that aren't necessarily heralded like Jay Higgins. Uh, his only uh, power five offer was Iowa A guy like Cooper to from small town, Iowa. Um, they do an incredible job of evaluating talent finding talent, finding, you know, diamonds in the rough. And that's uh, a testament to to Phil Parker. But it makes that discrepancy between what Iowa does offensively or defensively and offensively even more obvious because outside of tight ends, uh, Iowa, they, they haven't been able to develop guys like they do defensively. They haven't been able to find those kind of diamonds in the rough. I mean, you look at – the play that like John Nestor made today, and you can already kind of see flashes of what he can do. We've seen flashes of what Cohen Entringer can do. You can see guys in the pipeline like coming up and being developed and Jay Higgins waiting his turn. It just doesn't seem like that happens offensively. And I think part of that comes down to coaching and who is going to be coming in as I was next offensive coordinator. But there's, you also have to understand with that, that Phil Parker has laid the groundwork over a long stretch of time. So I was next offensive coordinator. Isn't just going to be able to snap his fingers and develop everyone just like that, or, you know, wave a magic wand or take a magic pill and everything's going to be great. Like I think I was offense is, is there's so much work to be done that, that it's, it's not going to be able to be reversed in like a single year or a single off season. This is, this is going to take some groundwork. It's going to take some some major rebuilding to get it back on the right track. Well, let's just segue right into the offensive coordinator discussion. We don't have to get into it too long because we're probably going to be talking a lot about it whenever the hire is made in you know about two weeks or whatever it is. So, uh, if Kirk Ferris talked a little bit about it after the game, uh, he was asked about it the very last question, and he gave a really good answer. Uh, I, I'm. I'm including a lot of it in my column that I'll post tomorrow morning, but you can also check out our video at Hawk Central from the press conference. But, you know, he basically said that, you know, it starts with 
uh, hiring a, you know, a good person, a good fit, all that stuff, but also said he feels great about the direction it is going. And on the quarterback topic, guys, uh, this offensive coordinator will hopefully help turn the page in terms of a run pass threat at the quarterback position. They may not call it dual threat, but you got to have somebody who's a little bit mobile uh, back there. And uh, you have to believe, don't you, that a fresh set of eyes at offensive coordinator will, will realistically decide, you know what? Marco Linas has a little bit more upside there and spark than Deacon Hill. Now they're going to both get a lot of spring reps because Cade's probably not going to be in spring ball, you know, other than throwing on the side or whatever. But uh, I think, don't you think that, start with you, Dargan, don't you think that uh, whoever this coordinator is, is going to kind of recognize, yeah, you got to have somebody else as the backup and not Deacon Hill. No offense to him, unless he really makes a big jump. Yeah, and I think what you hope, if you're an Iowa fan, is the, way that these last two games to the season unfolded where um, it was so, you know, there was no, there was no way that you could spin it any other way of, well, you know, they found a way to win the game or, Oh, you know, this or that, like the urgency should definitely be increased based on how this season ended because um, you know, again, it it wasn't a long-term, you know, this team definitely had a hurdle that it had to clear when Cade McNamara got hurt and, you know, down the stretch, there was definitely moments where you felt like if, okay, maybe this team, you know, if, if there's a loss that pops in there, does that increase the urgency or not? I don't know, but yeah, I mean, you, you got to think that whomever comes in here there, there's, there seems to certainly be a valid fear that, you know, this offense under Kirk Ferentz is largely going to stay the same and is largely going to, be run similarly just with a different person there. So um, that's a valid concern, I I feel like. And um, one I was going to have to make sure that it's not replicating it. And that's certainly going to be a challenge to do so when you have somebody who's clearly been set in his ways for a long time and, and, you know, is, is resistant at times to, to making moves. Let's go to three word headlines because uh, we're running a little long here. I know you guys want to watch Texas, Washington, and these always give us little avenues into other topics, right? So um, let's start this. Uh, Mark Phillips, good in practice. That was a that was a, a popular one. Um, uh, Jenks Hawk stumbling downhill. Austin Lego stubbornness over progress. John Wayne, I uh, back from the dead here. Uh, offense in ashes. Uh, ice cream man, Beth vet, Beth gets vindicated, as I said. Uh, B-Lap Hawk fan. Brian's final gift. Yeah, it was quite the exit, was it? Now we talked a lot about what would Brian do in his in his last Big Ten championship game or in the, in the Big Ten championship game? What would he do for a send-off? Win one for Brian. Well, boy, this is this is not the exit that he would want for his legacy in even getting another job, right, Tyler? Yeah, I think well, part of the importance of moving on to a new offensive coordinator it just it feels like there needs to be new energy energy like it just felt like the fan base you know it was just fed up with what the product had been and and you feel you can kind of get a sense when when there needs to be a change and and when fans are kind of 
losing interest even, which is, which is apathy is I think much worse than anger and frustration, but um, yeah, it, it just felt like part, part of the thing with the, whoever it is going to be is that they're going to bring in new energy, going to bring in, inject some optimism and some change and hope, which, which I was offense, you know, may, you could make an argument coming into this season. There was a, there was some hope, but that, it just that that's part of the battle is is the kind of perception and the energy around the uh, unit. Uh, Drew Kleesner, we've got a few more Brian Ferentz related ones. Big shock. Uh, what's the upside? Hawks 101. It's finally over. Uh, this was my favorite one, probably from Joe Hugan. It could have been a. It could have. Been, it would have been a little bit too much, but it could have been a headline for a newspaper. You know, like a Sunday paper. Dies on hill. Great double meaning there because you know, Hawkeyes died on their hill of Deacon Hill at quarterback. <laughs> um, a good one. Here's another one, guys. Uh, Eric Bappy, changing the subject here a little bit. Uh, thanks, Joe Evans. Ends up with what a career. Ends up fourth all time in sacks at the University of Iowa. The Ames walk on quarterback is now behind only Jared DeVries. Who will never whose record will never be broken? Forty three sacks. Uh, uh, I think it was Mike Wells. God, I'm blanking. I think it was Mike Wells. Yeah, it's number two. And then, uh, 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 I wrote it in the story. But anyway, he's number four. I think it was AJ Epinesa, wasn't it? No, he passed Epinesa today. Anyway, twenty eight sacks. He had four today. Joe Evans, Iowa had six sacks. What do you think? Either one of you. Yeah, it was one of the funny things that that happened in the build up to this game and, and talking to different Tennessee people was, um, you know, I was like, hey, if you take a former high school quarterback, make him a walk on and have him starting on a defense that in like the SEC or in Tennessee's world just sounds absurd and would never happen. Iowa has at least two former high school walk on quarterbacks that are big pieces on the defense and Joe Evans, you know, his rise from, like we said, pretty much nothing in terms of recruiting um, prowess to this point. Um, yeah, definitely uh, was able to carve out a pretty solid career and one that, you know, I'm sure will will be talked about in future meetings and recruiting pitches and all that to, to the walk-ons, which has obviously been a huge part of this program for a while. I'm really sorry I botched that, everyone. Jared DeVries, Mike Wells, Matt Roth are one, two, three. Matt Roth with 30, Joe Evans 28, Larry Blue and AJ Epinesa with 26 and a half each. So he passed both of those guys today. Uh, Hawk Dad, Hannah Stolke's father, um, stepfather. Uh, run, Marco, run. Run, Marco, run. Uh, add your name says mobile quarterback mandatory going forward. So – uh, one more thing, guys. Tory Taylor sets the NCAA punting record for yardage. Jay Higgins ties Andre Jackson's, Jackson's single-season tackles record. Those were the highlights of the day for the Hawkeyes. Anything else stand out to, to you, Tyler, as you watch the game uh, that we didn't talk about? I, have we not talked about the goal line interception yet that he threw? I don't uh, think we did. I don't know. Maybe not specifically. First and goal, first and goal from the four. Mm-hmm. To throw that interception, you had to get three points there. Well, all of all of his turnovers were like 
major costly because you had the one yeah. that was near Iowa's own goal line, the one that was near Tennessee's goal line, and then the pick six. So yeah. um, I think uh, well, the last thing I'll add is for all the talk about Tennessee's opt-outs going into the game or opt-outs or you know whoever wasn't, you know, all the guys that weren't playing, and the fact that Iowa – had so many of their regular guys that that were available to play, Iowa looked like the team that was like a shell of its normal normal self, and Tennessee looked like it had all of its regulars playing, and it just seemed like kind of a a lack of uh, attention to detail, and, and like the the Deacons uh, turnovers speak to that, but also you had like that uh, there was that delay a game call and it just, it just seemed yeah really, yeah it just seemed undisciplined and it's like if you have all this time to prepare for the game it just it, you know you hope oh that you know maybe the team can make some jumps in the time off and it just it seemed like regression yeah no question um what was i gonna say oh uh, there was a lot of three-word headlines i didn't read any of them but a lot of them were like fire both for ferences you know that type of thing um i think there's some frustration with Kirk here, and um, I'm not there at all. Uh, I think that I think this new offensive coordinator is is going to be uh, give this this program a, a needed fresh start at that position. And I guess my the the criticism of Kirk you could say would be he just held on to Brian too long and wasn't able to fire him himself, and that's why. You know, Barbara Wilson and Beth Getz had to stand in, and I don't disagree with that. But, uh, but yeah, I, I feel like personally the the culture, the recruiting, uh, the the whole structure of the program is in a really good spot. It's just this one little thing, the offense, uh, that that they got to fix. Dargan, give you one more word here. Yeah, well, it's interesting. You know, obviously you and several other people have made the comparison to the 2014 game. And, you know, generally speaking, the program is in a better spot than it was. But the one thing that you hope mirrors that is the kind of self-reflection that came out of that. Obviously, you recovering them and remember everything that they changed. But it seemed like that was pivotal because Kirk Ferentz realized that changes needed to be adjusted and made them. And then obviously next year was really good. So um, you hope that this game and as bad as things got down the stretch offensively, that creates the urgency to where even somebody like Kirk Ferentz, who is not afraid to show his stubbornness realizes that, Hey, you know, as much as we like to do business the way that we do, it's gotten way out of whack and way lopsided. And it's just, you know, there has to be adjustments or, you know, you're because, you know, as, as much as you could say, Oh, Iowa was, one, you know, bad call away from being 11 and one in the regular season. They were also a few plays away from being like seven and five. So um, you, you hope that if you're an Iowa fan, that the urgency is there uh, going into next season. Tyler, last point I'll make to you here or have you talk about is uh, I messaged you. I think it was yesterday, maybe. I was like after uh, Luke Lachey came back, whenever that was. And Jay Higgins was like, you know, we might be covering a pretty good team next year. I can, I come out of this game not feeling the same. I, I feel like there's cracks here. You know, Oregon's coming into the Big Ten. I know they don't play them next year. Oregon, Washington, USC, UCLA, all coming into the Big Ten. And, um, you know, you just think about the blowout losses this year. 31-0, 26-0, 35-0. Think about the 54-10 to Ohio State last year. 42-3 uh, to in the Big Ten title game 
a couple years ago to Michigan. Like these blowout losses are concerning and they're adding up and they're not staying close in these games. So I don't know. Uh, we're talking about them as a possible playoff team next year if everyone comes back. But I, I agree with Dargan. I think there's just got to be a little bit of self-reflection here and maybe some changes, whatever those need to be. No, I think you make good points in that the program, I feel like with with the the culture, you know, recruiting, um, all of that is is in a good spot. But like you said, the, the missing piece is Iowa's offense, which on one hand, it's just one piece. But I think that today was a reminder of how wide that, you know, how much, how important that piece is. Right. Because because of how how far it is behind. Right. That that piece is is way is far away from being put in place. So um, it, it does feel like there's sort of a, a duality in, in how close Iowa is to being kind of in those elites of the Big Ten because they only need the offense to be good. But they also need the offense to be good, and the offense is not even close. Like there, there's a it's a major pro, um, project right now. So it's one piece, but it's also one piece. So good way to finish, everyone. Uh, thank you both for joining me on this. Uh, I know you guys want to watch the games too, so we'll let the Hawk fans get back to it. Let you guys get back to it. I got to finish my column for the morning, and then. Uh, somehow drive my way back <laughs> to Iowa. It might be a while. Uh, but Tyler will be up at the Wisconsin uh, men's game uh, tomorrow, right? It's tomorrow. Oh, yep. Okay. Dargan, Southern, uh, keep on doing a good job with the women. And uh, Tyler, thanks to you. Uh, looking forward to working with you guys uh, in 2024. Should be fun, uh, fun winter. There were a lot of Caitlin tweets by the three-word headlines, by the <laughs> way. I skipped some of those. But uh, women's basketball school was one of them. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, for Dark and Southern, Tyler Tashman, Chad Lysico, so long from Hawk Central. Uh, we'll talk to you uh, throughout this year. Thanks for joining us.